guys, welcome to the Get Life podcast. You're like, whoa, Bish, where's where's the episodes gone? I'm just going to say something before we really get into the, the bread and butter of the conversation or even introduce our guest. But basically, we haven't been doing many episodes at the moment because of the situation that we're in. But we're trying our best to, to get more um, content out for you guys so that you don't really need to feel like you're self-isolating with nothing. Um, but anyway, before we get started, I just want to mention the sponsors of this episode of the podcast we've got jlist crunchyroll and japan crate so links will be in the description and time to introduce our guest today we have ryan from numskull hello so this is the first time ryan has been on the podcast i don't really know how he's gonna take it or how is he gonna think what we do here so basically we've got we've got ryan on here i didn't even know that numskull had a um gaming division so as ryan told me before the recording they're they're relatively new is that right uh yeah so we've been the numskull design side so the merchandise side has been around for six seven years or so uh numskull games our publisher has only been around for a year only around for a year okay so have you been in the company only for a year or um no i've been there for oh gosh uh, two years two and a half years or so um i was kind of the first proper full-time pr guy there but before i was there it was kind of just standard small ranges uh that you find at game and, and whatnot um since i joined obviously we've launched a lot of big range big brand things like tubs and core arcades and uh and the numskull games publisher so yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff that numskull you know makes and stuff because i really knew them more so you know when you go into a game you see the accessories you know ps4 chargers and you know fight sticks and stuff like that so that's where i knew them from and i think a lot of the audience will know them from so it's kind of surprising you guys have a quite a large selection of games that you've published mind caring to talk about those kind of games yeah sure so um i've always felt that numskull is one of those things that people don't necessarily know us by name but they almost certainly have something of ours already in their home uh so on the merchandise side that's stuff like if you have a a geeky christmas jumper chances are that's us if you have uh some third party accessories or any gameware accessories that's us um if you have the spiral incense burner uh, that's us as well on the game side uh we started off pretty strong because uh, Martin De Vries, who was the managing director at Rising Star Games, uh, left that company and came to found Numskull Games with us. And obviously we already have a really strong distribution network through our merchandise side. So we pretty much immediately kicked off publishing games. I mean, I can't remember exactly how many it was last year, but it was like 10 to 12 games in our first year, um, which for a normal new small games publisher is, is not. It's uh, unprecedented from, from what I can see, because it kind of, it's kind of like you guys came out of nowhere. And, and considering you've you've got someone from um, Rising Star, you know, leaving Rising Star and going to, to this, obviously they've got experience. So it kind of makes a lot of sense that you guys went in and went in quite strong. Yeah, absolutely. And we already had those retail links. Um, we already had, you know, Game and GameStop and EB Games and all those kind of retailers on side for our merchandise stuff. We'd already worked with pretty much all the biggest publishers um, for something or other. So we kind of know everyone. We're already in that network. So we were, we were at a really good standing to start a publisher. The one thing that I want to know is that I've noticed that you guys have a lot of Japanese games in your you know li- your library, a lot of Spike Chunsoft games. How did you guys get them on board? Because I noticed before they were published by a range of different other companies. Um, I don't want to mention them, but how did you guys manage to get Spike Chunter? Uh, so that's all down to Martin, to be honest. Like he already had a really good relationship with that company. Um, and then again, it's just the, the the merchandise side of our company really gives us a big 
foot up on a lot of other small publishers. Uh, so when we present to Spike, look at all these retailers we're already in, look at our distribution chain, we can release this in Europe and you don't have to worry about it, that sort of thing. They really like that. Um, for, for companies like Spike, we are we are only the publisher in Europe. So, so for some other Japanese publishers, we'll publish globally or some of our own titles will publish globally. But for Spike, we only, we're just the European and Australian publisher. So one thing that I want to know, personally for you, what is the your favorite game out of your your lineup? Oh, um, so far it's super epic, just because I think a lot of that is that we're a lot more hands-on with games that we take on board fully, because we're like the full global publisher for that game. That was a game that was pitched to us, we liked, we supported, uh, we funded, and saw sort of through beginning to end. So for me on the personal side, like we were we were part of that whole process, and that was really cool, and um, we got to be a lot more hands-on with it. So definitely super epic. Um, I suspect it will end up being Clive and Wrench, which is our upcoming 3D platformer. Um, I love 3D platformers to death, um, so it will probably end up being that one. Fair enough. I mean, to be honest with you, I only found out about you guys recently, so I kind of, the only press release that I got was for Clive and Wrench, so I don't really know much about the other games. I was intrigued by Super Epic in the sense that it is, it's a Metroidvania game, right? But it doesn't feel like that. I, I personally haven't played the game, but I've seen a lot of gameplay of it, and it's so beautiful. It's unbelievable. I can't imagine that a game you know i'm presuming it has a such a small development team behind it but a game like that you know looking this way and just making such a big impression on the community uh yeah absolutely i mean it was uh, what, what i really like about it is when i'm going into pitch mode here when i'm talking about super with people it's it's got little things about it that are very appealing to to people it's very different so I mean, first of all, he plays a raccoon riding a llama who eats a lot of burgers. Who doesn't love that? The game is also sort of a message about uh, microtransactions. So it's it, the story is literally about how microtransactions are bad, which is a very strange thing for a publisher to be openly uh, sort of accepting in a game that they're publishing. And it's got this really cool story with these greedy pigs, and uh, it has little bits where you can scan a QR code with your phone and play a little minigame on your phone. It's really strange and really cool. Um, it's one of those games that's been really wicked to work on. But yeah, Super Epic's been a really cool game to work on. Um, it's been a really interesting game. We see that it got a lot of press attention, I think just because it plays a raccoon and a llama, and you have those microtransaction plot. I mean, what would you say kind of makes it your favorite game before, you know, the more recent titles? I think it's just a lot more my kind of thing. I like I like indie games. I like Metroidvania games. Um, a lot of those points I just mentioned, I, I haven't really seen in a game before. Like, I haven't seen a game openly talking about microtransactions in that way before, which is something I've always personally been quite invested in talking about, um, is, is how games are monetized and... and the sort of morality around that so yeah oh and i'll be honest we published either somnium files i haven't played it yet which seems really bad to admit um i i imagine i would love i would love that game if i haven't played it yet uh, something i was gonna get onto now like that's one of the uh, spike chunchuff titles that you guys have and that's quite interesting like tell us more about it because it seems to be very interesting to me considering that you have character design by yusuke kazaki right it's a big deal uh, oh yeah i mean we knew when we signed that 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 was going to be a big deal for us and um, even even just being the european and australian publisher we knew with with the people that were working on it that that game was going to be big i think i don't have exact numbers um, but i think it was our best-selling game of last year which was wasn't a huge surprise to us. Um, yeah, really, really cool game to work on. Really cool game to publish, even just uh, even just for small regions. 
So what, what is the game really about? Because I don't know much about it. I know it's like a mystery and then you're solving puzzles and such. Would you say it's akin to other Spike Chunsoft titles, maybe like Danganronpa, for example? Yeah, it's very or... similar to that. So it's it's it, much like that. It's a, it's a visual novel kind of game with some mystery and some adventure. Um, again, I've not, <laughs> I've not personally played it yet, but it does seem to be quite in-depth and deep and a lot of people have really loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it seems like it's my kind of game, so I don't know why I haven't played it yet. I probably should have. Well, I mean, you have the time now. Well, <laughs> if you're not working, I, I presume, obviously, but you are. One other game that I want to talk about in more detail is... You might you might be cringing when I mention it, because I kind of knew about this game because there was an animation for it. Oh, okay. And I think you know which one I'm talking about. Your conception? That's... I, I Forgive me for saying this, but the anime was such hot garbage that I didn't even know that they were going to make... A game into it but the game seems very interesting and i mean a lot of the issues that i have with the animation i would imagine wouldn't be there in the game because you know there's not much ju dungeon crawling in the anime it's just oh okay there's a kid and then he has to defeat no this, this has some sort of gameplay to it i mean could you care talking about that um yeah sure so i haven't i haven't seen the anime i haven't seen the anime at all it's kind of kept popping up on my radar i'm aware that there's like a strong fan base for it and whatnot but yeah i haven't i haven't, I haven't seen it um yeah likewise for that game we knew that that was going to do fairly well uh, everything with spike is are just games that we've published just for europe and australia again i think it sold really quite well I, I, and again i haven't played it i haven't played it yet um but yeah it seems to have gone down well it seems to have gone down really well of course for a lot of our games we publish digitally and physically um so we released a collector's edition of that for Europe as well um, we just make sure bits and bobs in it I've noticed that you guys do that a lot there's especially with the Japanese games there's a lot of uh, special editions and we talk about even AI right you guys had like acrylic standees and like special artwork and boxes and stuff is that something that you guys are going to continue doing in the future for other games or is it like a one-time oh thing? yeah totally so for us we feel that our advantage of, of having our merchandise side of the company is that we are able to do this this really cool big box stuff and even for a lot of our smaller games so super Prepic being uh, being a prime example we have made a little pin badge set that goes in the physical edition and it, you know it's that's not the kind of game necessarily that there's going to already be long-standing fans of to pick up a collector's edition um but for people that do want it it is really quite interesting and i, I think either something files uh that special agent edition is probably the biggest collector's edition we've done so far there was quite a lot in there but yeah we, uh, virtually all of our titles that get physical release we'll be doing something like that with perfect because i mean the one thing that kind of stood out to me was for deadly premonition origins right if i'm not mistaken you guys sent a special um thing to jim sterling right a special cover art i'm so glad you brought that up <laughs> What went through your guys' mind? Like, what was like, oh, we're going to send him this. I mean, he loves it, but where did you guys think about doing that? So I'm going to take full credit for this one. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> this one was completely me. Um, Yeah, so basically I have watched uh, Jim Sterling's videos for a long time, personally. Um, he's, he, I, I love it. I, I, and I was fully aware of the fact that he loved Deadly Premonition. And to be honest, there aren't that many Deadly Premonition influences out there. Hate that word, but we'll go with it, influences. Um, so yeah, we decided, or, or, or I decided, I'm going to take full credit for this. Um, we decided that something that we could do special for him, because we wanted to do something unique to send to him. Something we could do is ask the original cover artist of Deadly Premonition Origins to just pop a little, pop a little Jim Sterling on the cover, um, send it over to him. And as I'm sure you saw, he actually freaked out over it, which was awesome. What I want to know about that specifically, did you do that with any other content creators or specifically? 
basically this is just for Jim and there's no other like do you guys have a copy of that in the office or is it just just for Jim? Oh yeah, um, we only did that for Jim. We haven't done it for anyone else yet. So I think we had three or four of those covers printed. So we gave one to Jim and we gave one to one of his podcasts uh, to, uh, and two to two of his uh, podcast co-hosts. And that was it. So we sent three of them. Um, I, I kept one of the covers for myself. Um, so that's all of them. And sort of, I didn't realize until people pointed out, but I kind of inadvertently created kind of the rarest variant cover there. Only four of them. Four of them in the world. That's amazing. Four of them in the world. That's how we'll tell people. Fasi on eBay, I'm going to be upset. I'm surprised that even the, the Japanese team don't have a copy of that. Well, they would. Um, I would imagine they would have the original file and artwork and stuff. But mm-hmm. the fact that they don't have that, that's something to keep yep, hold of. They legitimately yes. don't. Yep, yep. Only one in the company is sitting on my desk somewhere as well. So, yeah, really are only four of them. That's amazing because I haven't really seen any game publishers do that, like reach out to like content creators and stuff and do stuff that's specifically tailored towards them. I think that's a very nice thing because uh, I don't know how to say this, but there's uh, at least me specifically, when we do stuff with with uh, other companies, it's very difficult because they don't see us as, uh, as people. They see us as, okay, this is a piece of work. And then as soon as we've done this, that's it. We'll go on to the next one. It, there isn't any personal connection, but when you guys kind of reach out to Jim and you do something like that. Jim is a, you know, he's a big content creator. It's not like he's someone smaller, but still it kind of makes me feel that, wow, you know, a lot of people hate Jim Sterling and that's the truth. But for you guys to actually take the extra mile and do something, you know, nice and and stuff, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it put you guys on the map for me. That was the one thing that was like, oh, okay, you know, these guys publish games. I didn't know that. So that was the only reason that I knew about you guys because of, because the whole Jim Sterling thing. I'm going to sound clip you saying that and send that to my boss. That bit you right should. there. Oh, you should, because that's, that's why it's a great existed. thing. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut that out for you and send yep. it to you in an email specifically. Please, um, please do. Let's talk about Japan Crate because they are sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Remember, if you're interested, go to www.getalifepodcast.com forward slash Japan Crate. That should redirect you. To the Japan Crate website it does help us out as well so make sure you go and check them out let me talk about it let me tell you what it's all about Japan Crate is this wonderful box that you get every month filled with Japanese sweets and goodies crisps chocolates candy drinks everything and stuff that you might not even expect like a couple of times we've been getting bags of Kit Kats Japanese Kit Kats that have exclusive flavors so we've had sweet potato we've had ojicha we've had a lot of crazy flavors that you only get in japan that stuff that you're not going to get outside of japan and i know what you're saying well i could just buy kit kats from my local japanese supermarket you're wrong okay because they don't have the flavors that japan crate has because japan crate has the regional flavors that you're not going to find outside of japan they're going here and there and everywhere to get those for you also if you're buying from your local supermarket it's going to be expensive and I've often found that you're paying 15 to 20 pounds for a bag of Kit Kats imported directly from Japan you could be paying 30 pounds a month and getting a lot more most of the times when they do include Kit Kats in the Japan crate I feel that you're getting a lot more value they don't need to put that in there they're putting that in there they're putting in exclusive drinks we've had stuff like Japanese Pepsi crazy J Cola from Japan. We've had Hokkaido melon soda which is made from these special red melons in Japan that are really expensive. They're like thousands of dollars to buy these melons. Pancrate is including drinks with those melons in the crate so it's really good value. 
and you get to experience some new things. I personally love it, as you guys can tell. We're going to include it more in other episodes of the podcast, in particularly Umai. So go check Umai out as well, because we'll be doing taste tests there and things like that. Go to getlifepodcast.com forward slash Japan Crate. Use the code GALP for $3 off your first Japan Crate. Believe me, you guys are going to love it. You're going to be subscribed to it for the rest of your lives because it's top notch. We often give them as gifts to our friends that we record with. So we gave some to Koei, we gave some to Marvelous. You know why? Because we love them and we thought, what better way to give someone a gift than the Japan Crate? You can give it as a gift. For a birthday, someone's gonna enjoy that. I've not met someone who hasn't liked the snacks in Japan Crate. And they're weird and they're quirky and they're really nice. You get like exclusive Cheetos and stuff. It's insane. The amount of value that you're getting, $35 is nothing for the amount of candy that you're getting directly imported from Japan. GetLifePodcast.com forward slash Japan Crate. Do the right thing, guys. Buy it. And actually show me on Twitter you opening your Japan Crate. I would love to see that. And hopefully, We'll get giveaways coming up soon. We're in the process of redoing that. So go and check them out. You support the podcast when you do. Love you guys. One thing that I want to know also is about your new game, your newest game, Clive and Wrench. What is that about? Because I've only seen the trailer. We got the email yesterday and I've been interested in it by the fact that it's very varied. Like you're going to all around the world, different countries. I saw Big Ben there. I saw, you know, the Sphinx. I was like, whoa, whoa, what's this game? What is it about? Um, so it's a 3D platformer called Clive and Wrench. Uh, it's it's inspired by a lot of the classic 3D platformers you can think of. Um, so the two that we that we have written down specifically are Sparrow, the Dragon, and uh, Jack and Daxter. Um, and so yeah, there's there's 11 levels. Uh, you play as a rabbit with a monkey, literally on your back. Um, and yeah, it's just like an indie 3D platform. If you've played ukulele or A Hat in Time, you'll kind of have seen that this is a genre that is seeing a resurgence recently. I'd love to say that we were smart enough to jump on that bandwagon um, as we saw it happening, but we actually didn't. This has been in development for nine years. This is a single developer on his own that has been developing at home. Um, and and he's a great guy, which helps. Um, but yeah, so this is this is a game that has literally been in development for nine years and it is finally coming out this winter um, for Nintendo Switch and PC at the moment. Um, we will be making a physical release as well, so I'm sure for him to have been sat on his own making this game for nine years and then there's this announcement that it's getting a cartridge release in shops for a Nintendo console. It must have just been a, a crazy development. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in those kind of games in, th- in 3D platformers, uh, this is definitely the one for, for, for you. Like, I'm only looking at, like, screenshots and the trailer at the moment, but I wouldn't have known that this was an indie game. Just by looking at it, and especially if it's one developer making this whole game, it's it's, it's mind-blowing. I Before going into this interview, I didn't necessarily know that, so this is just, you know, caught me off guard. It's just so beautiful. Like, could you care talking about all the different levels within the game, or...? Oh yeah, sure. So it's very varied, as you say. So there's one that's based in a dinosaur land. There's one that's based in Egypt. Um, there's a cowboy world. Uh, there's eleven different levels. Um, there is also, uh, as I'm sure you may have seen if you've been looking at his personal Twitter feed, there's a, a, a character called Lara Cruz who looks suspiciously like another video game character you may not have seen, <laughs> Tomb Raider. Um, 
and yeah, it's just this really varied world with a lot to collect, a lot to do. Um, it's definitely a collectathon kind of game. Yeah, it looks amazing. It's definitely, it, it's always good for me when we're working on games that I'm personally very interested in. So I knew when I saw this, when it was originally pitched, I was like, I, I want to work on this game. Like, I, I really want us to pick up this game. Because it's just nice for your day-to-day -day work to be surrounded by a game that's really colourful and fun. Um, and I only very recently finished uh, A Hat in Time um, and could just do with more of that. <laughs> On a personal level, I could just do with some more 3D platform games. Um, so yeah, yeah, really excited about that. We'll have a lot more information sort of during the course of the year. We'll kind of throw out bits and bobs like the box art and what will be in the physical edition and some more about the game itself, uh, some other secret little bits that we have in store. With this game specifically, because you mentioned that it was pitched to you guys, right? It wasn't. It wasn't something that you actively sought out, like the Spike Chonsoft games, right? So, yeah. How yeah, does that right. process works in which someone goes up to you and you know makes that pitch and says, "Hey, this is my game. Uh, I want to get it published." Blah, blah blah. How do you guys make that choice? Like, what is the process behind that? Because that's very interesting. Yeah. So it, it sounds really complicated, but it's actually super easy. So we just have a form on our site, or you know, if they have uh, my Twitter handle for example i will get people just dm me pictures and stuff all the time and i'll hand that over to the team and it really is just as simple as just looking at it and going that looks awesome um obviously every game that looks really good we can't necessarily publish because it's about for us personally we our roadmap needs to be where the game is is basically already finished or near finished if it's years and years and years off we just can't account for that right now um so yeah, if, if we get a pitch and it's a near finished game, uh, maybe they need some funding help. Maybe they just want some help to be released on platforms digitally, physically, that sort of stuff. Then we'll pick it up. I mean, so far we've done that with um, we've done that with Super Epic and Clive and Wrench for consoles. Those are two. The, those are the sort of mostly the first two games that are uh, that have been pitched to us that we're bringing to consoles and PC. Yeah, it's it's actually not too difficult. Uh, <laughs> not too difficult. A um, system i mean he came in uh, rob came in to our office personally to show us the game some way through the pitching process and we took a look at it and of course we're at events so um i mean not the moment given what's happening but generally speaking we're at gdc and we're at res and we're at egx and we are looking around i think it's easy for developers to um forget that but being out and about and being seen is so important not just on the public side but that's how publishers like us will find you is there anything, because I know you can't necessarily mention it at the moment, but is there anything else that is expected to come during the course of this year? Um, oh, yeah, Other absolutely. than uh, Clive and Wrench. I know you can't mention names, but are we seeing other titles? Yeah, tons. Yeah, lots. We've already got a lot up uh, our sleeve. We were actually going to bring some unannounced games to Resd. Um, obviously, that has been cancelled. <laughs> so we've kind of moved our plans around a little bit. Um, but we will have more announcements in the coming weeks and months um, and then some more later on in the year. And again, some of those are some of our own completely new published titles like Glide and Wrench. Some are going to be Japanese games from Spike Chunsoft or PM Studios. Um, yeah, a lot of us leave. A lot of us leave. It's really good working for a publisher like that because it is literally, there are so many different kinds of games happening all at once. So we're not focused on racing games we have you know a racing game here and a visual novel here and a platformer here and a metrovania here for someone like me personally that has a wide taste in games that's really quite awesome hello 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 
This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll.com forward slash kunai. Uh, we do love Crunchyroll here. In fact, we use it a lot for the podcast, as you guys know. And we encourage you guys to go and check out anime, especially watching legal sources of anime. You support the industry when you watch on Crunchyroll. And you get the largest lineup of anime ever. There's like more than 2,000 anime on Crunchyroll that you can watch right now if you go and sign up to our link which gives you 14 days of Crunchyroll premium service and what that premium service offers you is anime without ads 1080p HD and you can watch it on everything almost your PS4 your Xbox one you can watch it on the Wii U if you still own one (laughs) you can watch on PC Mac iOS Android, even on Chromecast and Apple TV, Roku, everything. Personally, I love casting from Chrome onto my TV to watch Crunchyroll. It's amazing. Crunchyroll offers the most diverse collection of anime straight from Japan each season, bringing you the best new anime from Japan to give you that largest lineup of anime ever. Remember, if you are a big fan of simulcasts, you're getting anime one hour after release in japan which is insane that means if you're watching my hero academia whatever season that we're on now as soon as it hits japan you're getting it one hour later so you don't really need to waste your time with spoilers on twitter you can watch it straight away if you wanted to that's what i love about crunchyroll and i'm sure you guys will love it too go to www.crunchyroll.com forward slash kunai for a 14 day free trial of crunchyroll premium i know you guys are not going to regret it because i haven't thank you crunchyroll for sponsoring this episode of the podcast hmm. uh, well, one thing that i wanted to know because obviously because you guys are very varied as a company and what you publish you know you're publishing like uh 3d platformers and at the same time you're publishing more serious you know you know adult games let's say um how how are you guys not worried that people are going to think oh you know what is this publisher about do you see what i mean because for example if you look at koei tecmo if you look at marvelous you know what kind of games they publish they don't kind of stray away from the the particular types of game that they publish so what kind of reputation are you guys trying to go for as a publisher yeah i think that approach works for those publishers like it's it's a very good approach to say we want to be known as the visual novel company or we want to be known as the racing game company and that's fine um, for us, it's just about standing on the strength of each individual title. And uh, and a big focus for us um, at the moment is retail presence. So that's why we publish a lot of our games physically. We want you to be able to go into a game or GameStop, pick up the game, look at it, and see just, th- just really through the cover itself without having seen anything else necessarily that, oh, this looks really good, I'm going to pick this up. Um, so yeah, we're very much about the strength of each individual title rather than necessarily having everybody know what Numskull Games is. I think that will just come as second nature in itself. As long as our games are strong and everyone keeps hearing about our games uh, from more different genres and from more different fan bases, in turn they'll kind of learn what Numskull Games is. Um, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the plan at the moment. We just want to pick really good titles that we want to work with, as opposed to pushing ourselves into a specific niche just because. That approach works, but it's just not what we're, not what we're going for. Yeah, okay. I, I completely get it. I mean, like, for, for me, it's a bit odd. I, I know that sounds a bit weird, but it's just it's just such a weird mashup of particular titles, right? It's kind of like I see a couple of other companies do that, and I'm like, 
Okay, cool. But the way that you phrased it, it makes more sense is that you guys want to rely on the games itself rather than, hey, this is us and our brand and then there's the game secondary thing. So, I mean, it's it's a good good approach to it, to be honest with you. Um, one thing that I also want to talk about is the more designs base of things because we talked about the games, but there's also a lot of merchandise that you guys do. You mentioned the Christmas jumpers before, but there's the tubs. What is that about? Where did that come from? So yeah, Tubbs Cosplaying Ducks. Uh, so for those that don't know, these are uh, collectible uh, figurines shaped like rubber ducks based on video games and movies and comic books and general pop culture characters. So this really came about because we have worked with so many different brands before. Virtually every major video game company, for example. Uh, virtually every major movie studio that we thought it would be nice instead of just having these individual merchandise ranges that we do to have one sort of unifying brand that we can make our own brand um and we sort of sat and thought what do people what can we do what like what 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 can you do that's going to apply to a lot of different brands but people will still want to collect and i think just per chance like one of the one of our directors happened to bring up the fact that a lot of people collect rubber ducks and it kind of just spiraled from there and you know, we we made that really is it, and we made sort of mock up pictures of, as to what like Spyro the Dragon and Crash Bandicoot would look like if they were rubber ducks, and they look really good. Like it's very much built on the strength of how good our designers are, because it sounds like such a stupid concept. It sounds so silly, but then you look at them and they actually look really good. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I was shocked when I saw them because at first I was like what are these ducks doing in game like it seemed a bit odd to me but then i saw a couple of uh, borderlands ones and then i saw like you know you got the vault boy one and i'm like what is this it, it just kind of got amazing because to be honest with you there's a lot of collectibles out there and it kind of feels like cheap garbage and i'm not gonna name names but there are some that are just ah. Uh, they look so ugly and I don't want to collect them. You know, it, it's just, ah, this is so cute. I love them. They're just amazing. There's something about the ducks. I mean, whoever found that idea is, is a genius. What, which one is your favorite duck? Oh, do you know what? I like I like um, our Neo Cortex one from the Crash Bandicoot range. Just because it's got a huge head and it looks ridiculous and I absolutely love it. It's just got this massive head with a flat top. I also like a lot of the characters that are really very detailed, like crazy detailed. Because that's the cool thing about this over like some of the other, let's not name name figurines that we talk about. They've kind of, it's sort of very industrialized now, like very overly commercialized a lot of that. Whereas us, we still have a team of people that sit and design each and every single one, not through some like copy paste process, but they sit and they think. And these people care, like everyone in our company, they're not just random people that we pay to sit in. These people are gamers. These people love this stuff. Um, so they want it to look really cool. And so, uh, for example, the I'm not a massive Lord of the Rings fan, but the Lord of the Rings Sauron tubs, it's like covered in a pattern that is actually part of the sculpt, so you can actually feel it. And a lot of them are having that now. Like we've, we're really experimenting with the kind of sculpts we can make with these tubs ducks. They can be really detailed uh, and have really cool things. And they're all in different poses and stuff. So, um. It's a really cool thing to work on, actually. Like, it's a really enjoyable thing to work on. Because the, the best thing, the, the thing that kind of pops out to me is the fact that they're all very varied. Like, I'm looking at the Blanco one from Street Fighter, he's, and he's got little chest hairs and veins popping out. And I'm like, wow! You, a lot of figurines that you see now, they, they seem very two-dimensional and very flat. But the fact that you, you guys are adding all of these little bits and bobs and these little details kind of add 
more character to them and I, I appreciate that I think that's really nice but one thing that I, I um, was very interested in is how can you guys get all of these different companies on board with with rubber ducks not always easy <laughs> is the answer to that and um, we've definitely we, we've gone out to a lot of people about this and there are some that didn't immediately get it and some that did so obviously as i've said before we have worked with virtually everyone before so that gave us sort of an advantage so we were able to contact a lot of people that we'd already worked with previously they already trusted us so a lot of them went with it and then announcing that first wave of 10 different ranges after they sold well and were received really well then we could kind of go back to some of the people we'd previously contacted or go to new people we hadn't contacted before and kind of show them look this is what they are this is how well they've done Look at all of this press coverage that it got. Look how, look how well received it was. And that kind of buys them in. Then they get it. Then they get it because it's, it's already on store shelves. So they kind of understand it at that point. You know, and sometimes sometimes there's a franchise that we want. I won't, I won't say what. Um, but sometimes there's a franchise that we want. And we'll work on it. And we'll make renders. And we'll, and we'll make images. And then just realize it just doesn't look good. Like it just doesn't work. So we don't do it. And that's the end of it. Like it's just scrapped. It, that doesn't look good. There's no way to make that work. Off it goes. Um, so we will only go ahead with something if, if we think that it works, if we think that people actually want it. And yeah, yeah, we started off with making four per set, but then we found that that's kind of unnecessarily restricting ourselves. That might mean that sometimes we add in characters for the sake of it. So now we're not really restricting ourselves like that. So, for example, one of the recent ones we announced is a uh, Sonic the Hedgehog set. And we're starting off just with Sonic and, 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 and Tails. Um, uh, Sonic and uh, Dr. Eggman and then if those are received well then maybe we'll do Knuckles then maybe we'll do Tails um, so that's probably kind of how we'll play it from now on um, just see what people think and then add more to the range so the, border one, the Borderlands ones that you mentioned for example uh, there are 8 of them already so we started off with 4 people really liked them so we made another 4 so yeah that's, that's, that's how it will be I think going forward this episode of the podcast is brought to you by JList. Yes, that JList. Go and visit them for all your needs. If you need import games from Japan that you can only get in Japan, JList has it. Nandroids, JList got them. Anime merchandise, JList has it. JList has everything, including manga, gaming, anime merch, Japanese cosplay, homeware goods from Japan. I've even seen a Kotatsu there as well. So. JList literally has anything you want from Japan. It's on JList. Uh, you just need to type it in. They've even got adult goods. And if you're kind of afraid of buying that kind of stuff, they've got you covered literally and figuratively with their anonymous shipping service. So no one needs to know what's inside the boxes. They get put into like plain cardboard boxes. If you do want to support the show and everything that we do here on the podcast, make sure you go to www.getalifepodcast.com forward slash JList and use the code GALP at checkout for 5% off your entire order. And you can keep on using that code again and again and again for all of your shopping on JList. And that code also includes pre-orders. So, you know, just use it. Use it if you want that new Nico figurine or if you wanted that a nice pair of cat tights. I don't know what you buy and I'm not judging. I personally use JList. I've used them before and we've... So if you want to learn more about JList, go to that episode of the podcast, check it out, see what it is. It's a pretty wholesome company. I really do love them and I'm glad that they're sponsoring and we wanted to go for sponsors that are very appropriate to the gaming and anime and Japanese culture in general. 
and we thought no one's better than JList at that. Yeah, we're not going to come up with some random sponsors that make no difference to you guys and stuff that you don't want to buy. Remember, go to getalifepodcast.com forward slash JList. Use the code GALP at checkout for 5% off on everything in your basket, including pre-orders. Thank you, JList, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Quarter scale arcade, the quarter arcade thing. Mm-hmm. Where did that idea come from? Because it's pretty cool. Like, you know, quarter-sized arcade machines, fully functioning. That's it's a, it's a great idea. Like, where did that come from? I think the idea probably originated from uh, someone in the office wanting an excuse to have a massive arcade in the in the in the office, um, which is not wholly untrue actually. Um, how we make these quarter-scale miniature arcade cabinets is we actually buy one of the original large cabinets. Like, we must find one and buy it. And then we kind of digitally render that, compare it against our version to, to make sure that... Because our selling point is very much that our quarter-scale cabinets look exactly like the original cabinets. Exactly. To the screws on top of the cabinet looking exactly the same kind of detail. Um, so that's why we, we have to get one of the big cabinets in our office to make sure that it's perfect. Um, See, now, one thing that I wanted to, to know about that is because there's a lot of, for example, different variants of a particular cabinet, like, depending on which region you're in, right? So how do you decide which one is the most appropriate one to use? Yeah, that's a really good question because that's come up quite a lot um, along the process. So uh, for Pac-Man, our first cabinet, for example, that was much easier. There is kind of a unified cabinet style. I mean, you'll have the coin doors might be a little bit different in each region. Uh, we just kind of go with the version that people kind of associate that cabinet with most. But then when you look at something like Bubble Bobble, uh, which is a cabinet we, we recently announced, there isn't really a globally sort of accepted version of that because it was just kind of put on whatever spare cabinets were around. Um, so for that one, we have had to make kind of our own design. And by that, I mean, we sent that to Taito they made the designs of that cabinet, so we haven't just made it up ourselves. Taito have used original uh, arcade artwork to sort of design a cabinet for it. So that's always an option if there isn't kind of a one signature version of a cabinet per se. But yeah, yeah, we we, we, we get uh, the one thing people definitely like it for the most is that it is very authentic, and they look at it and they and they appreciate that, especially for a country here like the UK, where we simply don't have room for most people to be buying. 20 full-size arcade cabinets um it's definitely a really good alternative see that it's very interesting to me mainly also in terms of like the electronics and stuff like what is this running off of is it like a proprietary thing or is it running off like a raspberry pi like there's so many things i want to know about this like arcade machine because i'm really big into like arcade sticks like i've built oh yeah i built a couple of arcade sticks myself and, and things like that so it's it's a very interesting process like what parts you're using what kind of buttons what kind of sticks that kind of stuff so it's like what is the process behind that like are you guys going for you know the most authentic sort of pieces like how do you miniaturize a particular arcade stick and buttons like how does that work because obviously those things haven't existed before like how do you get the same feeling and all that kind of stuff like that's the thing that blows my mind. So obviously we have our own manufacturers and factories, and for us it usually is it usually is about being authentic. Like that's the focus, being authentic. But we also it's playable. It's not just a 
decorative piece, although a lot of people just use it as that, it's also playable. So we want it to feel good when you play it. So the joystick is like a proper clicky joystick, for example. Um, and indeed, we knew that our selling point is this is the most authentic miniature replica you're going to get. So we haven't just stuck a Raspberry Pi in there because we knew people were going to unscrew it and open it up and be like, well, great. Um, so it does actually have a board in there. It does actually run off of a, a custom em emulator and it has the original arcade ROM that we source from the publisher because occasionally, you know, ROMs online are not always necessarily the most preserved ones in the world. They might have been edited and, and whatnot. Uh, so we get the original arcade ROM. Uh, the only thing we change, literally, in that game is that we add uh, a numskull logo on the startup screen. Um, occasionally, just for legal reasons, we'll have to change some of the copyright lines. Um, so, for, you know, for example, um, Pac-Man is not Namco anymore. They're Bandai Namco. So the copyright line says Bandai Namco on the startup screen. Literally, that's that's a smaller change as we're talking. Um, but yeah, yeah, for us, it's about sourcing uh, miniaturized pieces, you know, like the joystick and the the coin doors and stuff, making sure they're really authentic. Things like the uh, the wooden shell itself, we do we do all of that. That's all in house. We make all those ourselves. Um, everything goes through an approval process with the licensor. So. And that's a long process, so we'll send a sample to, for example, Bandai Namco, and they'll take a look at it, and they'll have some changes, and that goes back quite a few times. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it, it's, for me, on a personal level, I'm sure lots of people will be, but for me on a personal level, I don't play mine that much, but it's a really cool decorative piece. Um, I, I collect a lot of merch, so I'm in the right company. I collect a lot of merch, I have loads of glass cabinets full of video game merchandise. And they're really good for that. Like it's just the right size for me to place in sort of IKEA's little glass cabinets. Um, occasionally pop it out to play, um, but usually it's just a decorative piece to be honest. Um, yeah, they're, they're really they're really decent collectibles for for, for for people that want something that looks like the original arcade version. Fair enough. Uh, finally, to end this episode, I just want to know about what games you're playing at the moment. I can imagine what they are, but I just want to kind of discuss that and kind of give the audience a little bit more about Ryan and who he is and what kind of games he likes to play. Okay, cool. So, I mean, I actually don't end up playing that many sort of AAA big budget games that much. I don't play online, really. I'm not much of an online player. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit and play like Call of Duty or Destiny or anything like that. I just don't really care. I'm usually playing single player games. At the moment, I am like fully invested in Animal Crossing, obviously, as I'm sure everyone is. I, I'm, I'm not very far. I only manage to start a couple of days after everyone else is, has, which sounds like not a big deal, but I'm seeing on Twitter everyone posting amazing things and I, I don't even have a museum yet. It makes me very sad. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of people, they're either time traveling or they got the game early. I'm kind of like a week in front of everyone. So it's just, it's a bit, you know, it, I don't invite anyone to my island just because I'm, I'm afraid that people will be like, ah, you're, you're time traveling and you're, oh, right, yeah. you're spending all your time. Yeah, I don't want that. I, I'm going to wait until everyone gets to the same point as I am before I start inviting people because I'm kind of afraid about what people are going to say because obviously I can't kind of tell people oh i got the game early and blah 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 because embargoes and stuff but still it was just i'm kind of panicking i don't want to invite anyone i'll go to visit other people's island but until everyone has gotten to the point that i've gotten to i'm not gonna 
invite anyone out of that fear. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, for every what else am I playing? I'm playing Doom Eternal at the moment. So March 20th for me was like a crazy day because I'm personally invested in both of those franchises. I'm not a big first-person shooter person usually, but I like color. I love coloring games, and Doom 2016 is such like a. I I, I say it's like a. It's more of a strategy game than it is a first-person shooter, which is really strange. Okay, that's a bit odd. But it kind of is like combat chess because you have to really think about in your arenas in Doom and Doom Eternal. You have to really think about which target you should be going after first and what their weak point is and what weapon you should be using. It's very strategic, it's very strange. Um, but I love that. And then lastly, I recently finished um, Ori and the Blind Forest, the first game. Oh, nice. Just because Willy the Wisps is coming out, so I thought I would finally go and play that. I don't know why I hadn't yet. That's bloody gorgeous. That game's beautiful. Again, like to be honest, like that, those three games really signify my kind of game very well. Colour and charm really means more to me than virtually anything else. Um, I don't know why, but I love to have colour in my games. I love charm. Even if it's pointless, even if the gameplay isn't really that good. So I don't know if you've played Watam, but that is just dumb. And it's, it's by the guy that made Katamari and Nobunobi Boy. So it's just it's just daft, but it's colourful. And it's the kind of game that you couldn't possibly play and feel sad while playing. But yeah, my tastes are kind of all over the place. Um, so I'm very suited for novel games because it's all over the place. I'll play a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I don't play many sports games. I don't play online very much. But other than that, I'll play kind of anything. I mean, that's quite good, especially in the industry that you're in. It's quite good to keep like an open mind on all types of games and such. I personally am the kind of guy that, that's very particular about the games that I play. Like I, I'm not not a big fan once again of like shooters and stuff i do play call of duty but that's mainly i don't like playing those kind of games alone i prefer to play them as a squad because it's it's more about that experience being with the you know your team and whatnot as opposed to just you know getting kill streaks and nukes and all that i think that's a good place to end this episode thank you very much for coming on i really do appreciate it ryan you're more than welcome thanks for having me hopefully we get ryan on in the future to talk about all the other titles that are going to be uh, published by numbskull games if you guys want to know more about numbskull where could they find you ryan sure so they can head to uh, at numbskull designs or at numbskull games and that's where we post all of our new awesome stuff and obviously if you want to reach me personally on twitter i'm at toads anime i'm usually posting about something or other in the games industry and uh, I'm always reachable and come visit my Animal Crossing town awesome I'm guessing you're going to be posting your friend code so that people can visit and such yeah I'm totally out of friend slot which which is really annoying I, I feel really bad going and deleting people but there's the dodo code so I could just which is really convenient I could just I could just post the dodo code and then anyone so I good. forgot about the dodo code okay yeah fair enough you guys can check us out on twitter at get Alive podcast alternatively you can visit our website if you go to www.getalifepodcast.com also big thanks to our sponsors jlist crunchyroll and japan crate usually in this case uh, every time we do visit a um, an office or we do an episode with a games publisher or a developer we give them a gift and unfortunately ryan we weren't able to give you a gift this time it's i've come on the wrong episode after all of this happens i might just visit your office and drop off some japanese candy courtesy of japan crate because that's usually what we do um i'm sorry that i wasn't able to do that this time but anyway it, it, it is what it is i'm sorry i'm sorry forgive me um it is what it is anyway hope you guys enjoyed this episode this episode just so you guys know it's going to be um we're going to move back to weekly because of what's going on uh with this whole virus situation so expect episodes every week anyway see you guys bye